Gavin Newland. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Gavin Newland. Uh, thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last year, Scotland exported 19 trillion watt-hours of electricity, worth £4 billion to the UK grid. Yet not only do Scottish generators pay the highest grid connection charges in Europe, Scots pay amongst the highest standing charges, whilst London is by far the lowest. Uh, our heating and lighting is switched on a lot earlier and off a lot later than the south of England. So should Scottish households be forced to shiver in the dark this winter to subsidise the richest part of the UK? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as the Honourable Member will know, standing charges are a matter for Ofgem, the independent regulator. Last week they did launch a consultation asking for views about standing charges, and he'll know because of geographic factors the UK Government already provides an annual cross-subsidy worth £60 to a typical household in Scotland. But on top of that, we are providing considerable support to everyone across the UK with their energy bills this year. Mr Speaker, Abigail Moore Eden is four years old. Released from Hamas captivity last weekend, Abigail is an orphan after her parents were brutally executed in front of her during Hamas's rampage on the 7th of October. To secure the freedom of Abigail and some other hostages, Israel is taking a huge risk, releasing convicted terrorists, including would-be suicide bomber Isra Jabis, imprisoned for detonating a gas cylinder in her car in 2015. Hamas also seemed to have broken the ceasefire, activating three explosive devices. So what steps is my rightable friend, the Prime Minister, taking to continue his welcome, steadfast support for Israel in its fight not only against Hamas, but other Iran-backed terror groups? Can I thank my honourable friend for raising such an important issue in my house, and my thoughts, and I know the thoughts of the whole house will be with Abigail. Uh, As I've said before, we support Israel's right to defend itself, to go after Hamas and to free hostages to deter further incursions and to strengthen its security for the long term. We welcome, though, the extension to the agreement to pause fighting, increase humanitarian aid and release further hostages. Negotiations are ongoing and highly sensitive, but this has been a welcome first positive step. We will continue also to hold Iran to account, Mr Speaker, for any further escalation from these groups, as well as continuing to work with partners to disrupt and deter Iran's destabilising activities in the Middle East. I now come on the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In an effort to hide from his failures, the Prime Minister spent this week arguing about an ancient relic that only a tiny minority of the British public have any interest in. Mr Speaker, that's enough about the Tory party. In 2019, they all promised the country that they would control immigration. Numbers will come down. The British people will be in control. How's it going? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, let me be crystal clear. The levels of migration... The levels of migration are far too high, and I'm determined to bring them back down to sustainable levels. That's why we've asked the Migration Advisory Council to review certain elements of the system. We're reviewing those findings and we'll bring forward next steps. But earlier this year, 
we announced the toughest action ever taken to reduce legal migration. The effects of that action are yet to be felt that will impact 150,000 student dependents, and forecasts show that migration is likely to drop as a result. But all we've heard up until this moment from the Honourable Gentleman on this topic is a secret backroom deal with the EU that would see an additional 100,000 migrants here every year. Mr Speaker, never mind the British Museum, it's the Prime Minister who's obviously lost his marbles. Mr Speaker, the Greek Prime Minister, the Greek Prime Minister came to London to meet him, a fellow NATO member, an economic ally, one of our most important partners in tackling illegal immigration. But instead of using that meeting to discuss those serious issues, he tried to humiliate him and cancelled at the last minute. Why such small politics, Prime Minister? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker of course, of course, we're always happy to discuss important topics of substance with our allies, like tackling illegal migration or indeed strengthening our security. But when it was clear that the purpose of a meeting was not to discuss substantive issues for the future, but rather to grandstand and relitigate issues of the past, it wasn't appropriate. But furthermore, 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 when specific commitments and specific assurances on that topic were made to this country and then were broken, it may seem alien to him, but my view is when people make commitments, they should keep them. Mr Speaker, I discussed with the Greek Prime Minister the economy, security, immigration. I also told him we wouldn't change the law regarding the marbles. It's not that difficult, Prime Minister. The reality is simple. He has no plan on boat crossings, and migration is at a record high. A record high. His policy is that companies can pay workers from abroad 20% less than British workers. That has contributed to those record high immigration levels, hasn't it? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, he talks about the boat crossings. He's failed to notice illegal boat crossings are down by a third this year, Mr Speaker, thanks to every one of the actions that we've taken that he opposed every single time they were raised. But look, Mr Speaker, no one will be surprised that he's backing an EU country over Britain. Just this last week he was asked, just this last week, just this last week he was asked which song best sums up the Labour Party. What did he come up with? Well, Mr Speaker, he showed his true colours and chose Ode to Joy, literally the anthem of the European Union. And he will back, he will back Brussels over Britain every single time. So let, let, me get, let me get this straight. The Prime Minister is now saying that meeting the Prime Minister of Greece is somehow supporting the EU instead of discussing serious issues. He's just got dug further into that hole that he's made for himself. And ever, rather than deal with the facts, he's prosecuting his one-man war on reality. And that, that reality is stuck. Under this government, a bricklayer from overseas can be paid £2,500 less than somebody who's already here. 
a plasterer, £3,000 less, an engineer, £6,000 less. The list goes on. It's absurd. Labour would scrap his perverse wage-cutting policy. Why won't he? Mr Speaker, as I said, we have taken significant measures and will bring forward more. And indeed, as the ONS themselves said, more recent estimates indicate a slowing of immigration as a result of the things that we're doing. But I am surprised, Mr Speaker, to hear him now taking this new position, because I've got a quote here from a pushy young shadow immigration minister who said, and I directly quote this person, he told this House that limits on skilled migrants are, and I quote, a form of economic vandalism. Who could possibly have taken such a bizarre position to only then U-turn? It will come as no surprise to anybody that it was him. Mr Speaker, there's only one party, one party that's lost control of the borders, and they're sitting right there. And this is a government not just in turmoil, in open revolt. The Immigration Minister thinks the Prime Minister is failing because apparently nobody will listen to his secret plan. (laughs) The former Home Secretary thinks he's failing because of his magical thinking. The current Home Secretary thinks he's failing. He even took time out of his busy schedule insulting people in the North East to admit he agrees with Labour. The Prime Minister seems to be the only person on the Tory benches without his own personal immigration plan. (laughs) Clearly, his own side don't have any faith in him. Why should the public? Mr Speaker, it's it's really a bit rich to hear about this from someone who described all immigration law as racist, who literally said it was a mistake to control immigration. We have taken steps and we will take further steps, which is why recent estimates of immigration show that it's slowing. It's why next year the immigration health surcharge will increase by over two-thirds. It's why immigration fees are going up by up to 35%. But, Mr Speaker, when one of his own members of his front bench said that having a target isn't sensible, Right? It's no surprise, Mr Speaker, to have people like this, because this is the person, Mr Speaker, while we're taking all these measures that he opposed, this is the person who stood on a platform and promised to defend free movement. On their watch, migration has just trebled and is giving the House a lecture about targets. He's lost in la-la land. There can be few experiences more haunting for the members opposite than hearing this Prime Minister claim that he's going to sort out a problem. First, he said he'd get the NHS waiting list down. Uh, They went up. Unabashed by that, he said he'd get control of immigration. It's gone up. Following that experience, he turned his hand to bringing taxes down. And, would you believe it, the tax burden is now going to be higher than ever. It is ironic that he's suddenly taken such a keen interest in Greek culture when he's clearly become the man with the reverse Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to... Maybe the Home Secretary could help me out here. Rubbish. So, will the Prime Minister do the country a favour? We'll have to check the tape again, uh, Mr. Speaker, I think. So, will the Prime Minister do the country a favour, warn us what he's planning next, so we can prepare ourselves for the disaster that will inevitably follow? 
Mr. Mr. Speaker, at the beginning of the year, we said, Mr. Speaker, Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, at the beginning of the year, we said we would halve inflation, and this government has delivered, easing the burden on the cost of living for families everywhere. But we know his plans, Mr. Speaker. All the way through that, what did he do? Back inflationary pay rises. He talked about welfare, no controls for welfare, and borrowing £28 billion a year that would just make the situation worse. He mentioned tax, Mr. Speaker. Just this past week, we've delivered the biggest tax cuts since the 1980s for millions of people and businesses, increased pensions and benefits, and this week secured £30 billion of new investment for this country. So he can keep trying, Mr Speaker, to talk oh, oh, oh. Can I just say to the shadow foreign secretary, oh, order just a little bit quieter, please. I want to hear. Right. Remanchisti. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The government has rightly responded to the shocking and unacceptable rise in anti-Semitism, and we saw extra funding in the autumn statement. I note that 44% of religiously aggravated motivated offences last year were against the Muslim community, yet there was no funding in the autumn statement to deal with Islamophobia. The government's independent advisor role for Islamophobia has been left vacant for over one year. The Prime Minister knows we discussed these matters over a year ago, yet no action has taken place. Prime Minister, enough is enough with regards to tackling anti-Muslim hatred. Will the government now finally take action? Mr Speaker, we won't tolerate anti-Muslim hatred in any form and expect it to be dealt with wherever it occurs. I actually recently met Tal Mama, a service that provides support to victims of anti-Muslim hatred, who we have in fact supported with over £6 million of funding since its inception, and we are in regular dialogue with them. We have also, Mr Speaker, doubled the funding for protective security measures through the Protective Security for Mosque scheme, and will continue to do everything that we can to keep our Muslim community safe. Leader Stephen Flynn. Um, Mr Speaker, in good news for kids this morning, it was snowing in Aberdeen, and when they looked out of the kitchen window, they would have been filled with delight. But for their parents, many of them who looked out the kitchen window this morning would have been filled with dread. Dread knowing that they simply can't afford to pay their energy bills. So in that context, can I ask the Prime Minister, does he regret offering no financial mechanism whatsoever towards families this winter? Minister. Mr Speaker, it's simply not right to say that there isn't support for families this winter. There's been considerable support this year for energy bills, and this winter pensioner households, this winter pensioner households, for example, will receive up to £300 alongside their winter fuel payment because they're some of the most vulnerable households, and it's right that they get that support at a difficult time. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, I appreciate it's difficult for the Prime Minister to empathise when he quite clearly can't understand. But to be clear to both him and indeed the whole House, this isn't a matter of energy production. Scotland produces six times more gas than we consume, and around two-thirds of our electricity already comes from renewable resources. This is a consequence of decades of failed energy policy here in Westminster. Now, those of us on these benches, we believe that Scotland's energy wealth and our energy resource should benefit the people of Scotland. Why doesn't he? Yeah. 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 Oh, 
Mr. Speaker, the entire energy grid infrastructure in this country is integrated, which brings benefits to people in every part of our United Kingdom. But when it comes to supporting people with energy bills, Mr. Speaker, that's why earlier this year we increased benefits at the highest rate on uh, record. It's why we've provided cost of living payments worth £900 on top of regular support. And it was right, Mr. Speaker, not to wait till the last moment to give people that support. We gave it to them earlier this year so they would have the security they need going into winter and as I said on top of the money for pensioners and when there are cold snaps we have cold weather payments that kick in and the warm homes discount providing an extra £150 to the most vulnerable households. All of that is the most considerable action taken by any government to help people with their energy bills. The £400 million redevelopment of Kettering General Hospital is the number one investment priority for local residents. The first part of this is a £50 million new energy plant to power the expanded and improved hospital. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, please do all he can to ensure that the Department of Health gets spades in the ground on time next spring so that we can get the construction of our redeveloped, much-loved local hospital fully underway. Can I thank my honourable friend for continuing to champion the new hospital in Kettering. We're absolutely committed to delivering the scheme for Kettering General Hospital. And, as my honourable friend will be aware, the new energy centre is vital to the delivery of the new hospital, and we expect that work to begin in the first quarter of next year. The new hospital programme are working closely with the Trust to ensure that the plans are deliverable. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Three years ago, the Government made a commitment to 40 new hospitals and significant upgrades to hospitals in most need. But today, many schemes are badly delayed. The Royal Berkshire, stuck at the development stage with not a single pound transferred for construction. Harrogate Hospital, still waiting on £20 million for urgent upgrades after RAC was discovered. And there are 25 more schemes, Mr Speaker. So will the Prime Minister explain why his government is happy to let patients, doctors and nurses suffer for years in such unfit and unsafe conditions? Mr Speaker, we are delivering 40 hospitals by 2030. Good progress is already being made, and that programme is being backed by over £20 billion of investment. Three schemes are already open, two are opening this year, and 16 are in construction or work has begun to prepare the site. It is absolutely right, though, within that, that we prioritise RAC hospitals uh, as part of that. That required a reprioritisation, but that was the appropriate thing to do to ensure safety. But all patients and staff are already benefiting from some of the improvements that we've made, which comes on top of the largest capital programme for the NHS in its history, rolling out community diagnostic centres, urgent treatment centres and surgical hubs right across the country. Sarah Dines. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As disturbed as I was to learn that British uh, politicians are being debanked by the National Westminster um, Bank, you can imagine my horror to find that an entire town, Bakewell, in Derbyshire Dales, is being debanked by the National Westminster Bank. And in the whole of Derbyshire Dales and the Peak District, there's not a bank left. Can you share my concern, please, will my right honourable friend, share my concern that as we are the major shareholder, that the National Westminster Bank are ignoring my vulnerable, elderly, 
uh, people and also my businessmen. It's a big, thriving market town. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is right that all customers, wherever they live, should have appropriate access to banking and cash services, which is why we've legislated to protect access to cash, and the FCA has issued guidance which seeks to ensure that branch closure decisions treat customers fairly. I know there's been an assessment about access to cash in her area, and the financial services sector will provide a new cash deposit service for her community, and also everyone can access the post office for regular banking services. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, Cancer Research's UK manifesto, Longer, Better Lives, set out a roadmap to save 20,000 lives a year by 2040. Research is key to this, and they've identified a funding gap of over a billion pounds. Cancer, Cancer Research UK have told me that, that excluding research funded by industries, charities fund 62% of cancer research compared to the <coughs> government 38%. Is the Prime Minister ashamed of this, and what is he going to do to address this gap? Mr Speaker, of course the government must do more to continue preventing cancer deaths in our country. That's why we're focused on fighting cancer on all fronts – prevention, diagnosis, treatment, research and funding. Crucially, cancer is now being diagnosed at an earlier stage more often, with survival rates improving across all types of cancer, including the most common cancers. And through our treatment record, we are rolling out community diagnostic centres everywhere to ensure that we can reach those people as quickly as possible. David Bundell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I uh, thank you on behalf of the All Party Group on HIV AIDS for hosting today's reception to honour the incredible contribution that Sir Elton John has made to the fight against AIDS. I very much welcome today's announcement of further funding for HIV, hepatitis B and C opt-out testing in hospital emergency departments as a critical step in fighting these diseases, and ask the Prime Minister to join with me, and indeed I am sure the whole House, in praising Sir Elton and his AIDS Foundation for pioneering this work. Well, Mr Speaker, Sir Elton John has been a powerful voice for change in the UK and the world, and through the brilliant work of his foundation, he's raised awareness of HIV, reduced stigma and saved lives, and I'm very pleased that this will be celebrated tonight at the HIV All-Party Group event. And ahead of World AIDS Day on Friday, I'd also like to reaffirm this Government's commitment to ending new transmissions within England by 2030, and I know my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, will have more to say about the expansion of our recent pilot initiative on screening at tonight's event. Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Pearl Melody Black was 22 months old when a car rolled off a private drive onto a highway and hit a wall that fell and killed her while she was holding her daddy's hand. Her parents, my constituents Gemma and Paul, South Wales Police and the CPS were all frustrated that no charges could be brought in the case due to a loophole in the law. My 10-minute rule bill sought to amend the 1988 Road Traffic Act, but that fell as it did not get parliamentary time. I know that colleagues across the House have similar issues, so can I ask the Prime Minister would he meet with me and my constituents to assist in finding a way forward? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm incredibly sorry to hear about Pearl and my thoughts. I know the whole House's thoughts will be with Gemma and Paul. I will make sure that the Honourable Member gets a meeting with the relevant Minister on the legislation as quickly as possible. Nikki Aiken. Speaker, now we know that the Labour Party has an aversion to white ban man. 
But does the Prime Minister share my concerns that according to a Daily Telegraph report today, that Labour-run Westminster Council is increasing parking charges for electric small vehicles oh. by up to 1,800%, demonstrating that it doesn't support small businesses nor tackling climate change. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is right to raise these concerns, and it seems that Labour in London are yet again penalising hard-working people. First we had you, Les, and now it seems they're hiking parking charges on white van drivers and small businesses, and I join my honourable friend in urging the Labour on Westminster Council to rethink these damaging proposals. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I quote, Rishi thinks, just let people die and that's okay. This was reportedly the view of the Prime Minister of COVID during late 2020, as recorded by the then Chief Scientific Advisor in his diary. This came to light last week in the COVID inquiry, and I was shocked that Downing Street didn't categorically deny it. So could I ask the Prime Minister today, how is it that people who were closest to this issue, who he worked with day in, day out, at the top of government, how on earth did these people get the impression that the Prime Minister was okay with people in our country dying. Minister, I think he's got the question, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as the Honourable Lady knows, there is an ongoing inquiry into COVID, uh, and it's right that that process followed, and I look forward to providing my own evidence. But if she had taken the time to actually read the evidence submitted to the inquiry, she will have seen that the person she mentioned, the Chief Science Advisor, confirmed that he did not hear me say that, and that's because, and that's because I didn't. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. That 1.3 million migrants over a period of two years is a catastrophe for Britain is obvious to everyone apart from guilt ridden bourgeois liberals and greed driven globalists. Yeah. So, uh, given that the same kind of people are styming the Prime Minister's Stop the Boats campaign, Will he bring urgent measures forward to deal with legal migration? And in terms of the bill that he's promised, will he ensure it is exactly in the form recommended by his own immigration minister? Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, I'm, I'm pleased to have the honourable gentleman's advice and support as in all our measures to tackle both legal and illegal migration. As I said, we are reviewing the recommendations of the MAC and will be bringing forward measures on top of the very significant restrictions that we have already announced on student dependence. And when it comes to stopping illegal migration, I have been crystal clear, we will bring forward legislation that makes it unequivocally the case that Rwanda is safe and there will be no more ability of our domestic courts to block flights to Rwanda, and that is what our legislation will ensure. Well, this should be governed. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In response to my friend for Stockton North last week, the Prime Minister claimed that the best way to stop children living in poverty is for them to have parents who work. But, Mr Speaker, over 70 per cent of poor children already live in a home where someone goes out to work. So I'll give him another chance. Can he explain why reports say that one million of our children in 2022 experienced not just poverty but destitution. Yeah. Well, 
Mr. Speaker, no child should grow up in poverty, and that's why I'm pleased that because of the measures we've taken, 1.7 million fewer people are living in poverty today than in 2010. I'd also say to the honourable lady that it is absolutely crystal clear that for children growing up in workless households are four or five times less likely to be in poverty. That's what the facts say. That's why our efforts are, are on getting people into work and making sure that work pays, which is why the, the actions in the autumn statement to raise the national living wage to record levels and provide a significant tax cut will do an extraordinary amount to continue lifting children out of poverty. Jeremy Wright. Speaker, and can I thank you for welcoming my constituent John Farringdon to Parliament this morning? At 110 years of age, John is among my more experienced constituents, and I know he would want me to ask the Prime Minister to join us in thanking the staff of Covington Mill Care Home for looking after him so well. But can I also ask my right honourable friend, when John comes to Downing Street this afternoon, to try and find a moment or two to speak to him? It may be a useful conversation for those obsessed with the opinion polls, as I think it's fair to say John has some experience at surviving against the odds. <laughs> uh, can, I, uh, can I thank my right honourable friend for his question? And, uh, and I, I very much hope I have a chance to meet John later on, uh, later on. And can I join with my right honourable friend in paying tribute to his care home for the incredible care that they provide him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great that he's here, and I'm sure everyone will enjoy meeting him later today. Mr. Grant. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister may already be aware from his colleagues of the exceptional contribution my constituent, Dr. Hudura, has made during a 30-year uh, career in our health service. You may also be aware that for the last six or eight weeks she's been frantic with worry about her 83-year-old mum who is trapped in Palestine with a number of family members with no way out. Will you agree to work with the Foreign Office and the Home Office during this time of some hope in the Middle East to find an urgent way to get vulnerable people, such as Dr Hadoura's mum, out of danger into a safe place of refuge while we can, because once the ceasefire ends, so tragically will the chance of survival of too many people in Palestine. Well, can I start by paying tribute to the honourable gentleman's constituents' long service in the health service? I think he mentioned, uh, and can assure him that we're doing absolutely everything we can to ensure the safe passage of British nationals out of Gaza. Uh, I will ensure that the Department of Foreign Office get in touch with him. All British nationals that have been registered already with the Foreign Office have had significant interaction. We have successfully ensured the safe passage of well over 200 already, uh, but we'll continue to do everything we can for those that are remaining, and I'll make sure that we're in touch with him and his constituent. Rachel McLean. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Thanks to this Conservative government, the Alex Hospital in Redditch has received nearly £19 million of investment, and we are boosting training places at the Three Counties Medical School. So does the Prime Minister agree with me it's the perfect time to back my campaign to bring back services so that women, local mums, can once again give birth in their hometown and all children can be seen at the hospital no matter what illness they are experiencing? Yeah. Well, I know that my honourable friend campaigns passionately for the delivery of first-class health care 
for her constituents. And like her, I welcome the investment that the Alexandra Hospital has had in recent years in a whole range of different services. She will know that the reconfiguration of services are, of course, clinically-led local decisions following the appropriate engagement with patients and stakeholders. But I know that my honourable friend will continue to make her case on behalf of her community. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. In June, the Canadian Prime Minister claimed the Indian government may be linked to the killing of Canadian Sikh activist Hadeep Singh Nijar in Canada. Now it is reported that the U.S. government thwarted a second assassination attempt of a Canadian-American citizen on U.S. soil. So will the Prime Minister reassure my Sikh constituents who have raised their safety concerns with me that this government is taking this matter very seriously and really raise their concern with his counterpart in India? Well, Mr Speaker, I've already made statements on this matter, but I'll say crucially, of course, we ensure the safety of all communities in our country. That is the first duty of government, and we'll continue to do that, not just for the Sikh community, but every community here in the UK. John Burrell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With both the OBR and ONS confirming that the British economy is now substantially larger than they estimated even a few months ago, does my right honourable friend agree that... The economy has once again proven the detractors wrong, and will he do all he can to ensure that we retain record employment, because unemployment is a corrosive social evil? Well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend makes an excellent point. A year ago, not just the OBR, but the Bank of England, the IMF and the OECD were all predicting that we would fall into a recession this year. But thanks to the actions of this Governor and this Chancellor, we have actually grown the economy. You've seen that momentum carry on just in the past week with the announcement of Nissan, record investment in the new plant in Sunderland, safeguarding the future of thousands of jobs in the North East and ensuring the transition to electric vehicles, but also the summit that we hosted attracting £30 billion of new investment into the UK, which, as he said, crucially, will support thousands and thousands of jobs in our country. Winter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There are 2,500 disused coal tips in Wales. Welsh Government previously asked the Treasury for £600 million to make them safe, and ahead of the autumn statement, it sought an initial £20 million. But this Tory Government provided nothing. Rhondda Cynantaf has the most high-risk coal tips of any local authority, and the spectre of Aberfan looms large over our communities. So can I ask the Prime Minister, does he think it's right the UK took the economic benefit from Welsh coal, but won't fund the safety of its legacy. Mr Speaker, what the UK Government is doing is actually investing in Wales, uh, record investment in North Wales electrification on the line, record investment in communities up and down the country. And, and it is important, Mr Speaker, to recognise that just recently, just recently the UK Government has invested hundreds of millions of pounds to safeguard thousands of jobs at Tata Steel. Right? And, and Mr Speaker, the Welsh Government does have access to the largest largest set of Barnet consequentials on record over the past couple of years and have the resources they need. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Thanks to this Conservative Government, the people of Stoke-on-Trent, North, Kidsgrove and Talk will see over £200 million to fix our broken roads, the reopening of the Stoke-to-Leak line and secured over £30 million to bus back better by introducing fairer fares and smarter routes to better connect our communities. However, residents who have a free bus pass are being denied using it before 9.30am by the Labour-run Stoke-on-Trent City Council, meaning that people can't get to their GP appointment or to work. So will the Prime Minister back my campaign to end this unfair policy being opposed upon my residents? Yeah, my honourable friend is absolutely right about the importance of high-quality bus services. That's why we have capped the cost of travelling on buses to £2 until the end of 2024 as a result of our decision on HS2 and also support councils with a billion pounds of funding. I would urge all councils to ensure people see the benefits of that investment and wholeheartedly back his campaign. Mr Speaker, NHS England has awarded £330 million to Palantir, a controversial uh, technology firm, to help it recover from its pandemic backlog, despite deep concerns among many healthcare professionals about privacy, ethics and the safety of patient data. In light of the government's recently commissioned report on unifying health data in the UK, can the Prime Minister confirm that no attempts will be made to force the Scottish Government to release the personal data of Scottish residents to any centralised system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, as the Honourable Lady knows, health care is devolved, but we will look for every opportunity to improve patient care and reduce waiting lists uh, in England. And that's what we're doing, developing new technology, which has had a proven track record in bringing down waiting lists and improving the optimisation efficiency of how theatres are scheduled. That's the type of thing that we need to do to ensure patients get the care they need and we can get efficiency in the NHS. Final questions, Robert Butlin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The increasing proliferation of AI-generated disinformation and deepfake poses a clear and present danger not only to our democratic process but to the administration of justice itself. What further steps will my right honourable friend take following the Bletchley summit to strengthen our domestic law when it comes to this threat to democracy and take international action to provide the guardrails that I believe are essential if we are to maintain integrity in the administration of justice? Well, Mr Speaker, can I thank my honourable friend for all the work he's done in this incredibly important area. He's right that we need to have guardrails around the successful exploitation of this technology, uh, which is why the Online Safety Bill gives the regulator significant new powers to regulate the content on, on social media companies, including some of the ones that he mentioned. But we're also working internationally, following up from the summit, to ensure that we can all get the benefits of this technology, but in the process safeguard our democracy, which is so crucial to the functioning of our country. That completes Prime Minister's questions.